welcome you to the Ron Johnson Discipleship <laughs> Podcast. Yeah. This is what we're happening. That, you did great on that, yeah, man. I, know, I, I mean, mean, I've been getting trained. You're, you, you're pinch hitting today for Pastor look, Andrew. I may not look exactly like it. But, uh, <laughs> you're close, though. Same you're, spirit. you're close. <laughs> so welcome to the Ron Johnson <laughs> <Yeah>. Discipleship <laughs> All right. Podcast. Well, 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 let me welcome you to the Ron Johnson Discipleship yeah. Podcast, where where we are connecting the dots between critical issues that are happening every day in our world and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the, the victory that we have in him. And I want to introduce you to a very special friend of mine. Uh, as you all know, these podcasts are recorded on Tuesdays, and then we air them on Thursdays. And so we're right in the middle of something at Living Stones that we call Week One. It's a special gathering where we invite our special friends to come in and spend time with us, and we humble ourselves before God, and we just launch into the new year uh, in full dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jim Anderson is a great friend. We had an amazing um, time of ministry on Monday night. Uh, I think last night, that would have been yeah. the last Today's night. Tuesday. This is Tuesday morning, <laughs> and we're getting ready for for tonight. Tonight. Has the Holy Spirit kind of given you given you a little uh, yeah. direction for tonight? Well, yeah, I, I've been. I mean, if your if your if your church is taking time to seek the Lord, then I better. Yeah, be I figured. Time. I figured I you were be taking some time to seek the Lord to help. So you're saying that was a really dumb question? <laughs> I was like, no, really? no. I mean, I, yeah, but I, I I've got something. I got some things I didn't get to, to last night. That yeah. will fit. Well, yeah. it, it was rich, and the Lord was moving, and and I'm so grateful. Thank you, by the way, for. You and your precious bride, Lisa, coming and being with us uh, and carving out some time in your schedule. Uh, Jim has written a book called Unmasked. I love the subtitle, Exposing the Cultural Sexual Assault. Um, and uh, we have these available, obviously, here tonight, if there's some left. But Jim's got more where that came from. But I really wanted to, to probe some of the major themes of your life, which I think are so powerful um, obviously, you know, you have a big heart for families and, and an understanding that the family is, is critical. Talk a little bit about that. You, you've been married for how many years and how many kids you got? 44. 40, I 44? I, I used to hear when I was a kid, like, these people who were married for a long time. They're like ancient, <laughs> you know. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm now. Like, You're like a dinosaur. That stuff happening? doesn't happen anymore. I know, and I, I'm the oldest guy wherever I go, you know, but I've got... 44 years with Lisa, and we have eight kids. Wow. And they range from 41 to 24 years old. And So, so, so uh, family is a default message for you because you, you created one by the grace of God. And, yeah, uh, and we kind of just jumped off the cliff. At some point, yeah. the Lord, uh, I think Psalm 127 hit us right between the eyes, and we thought, Lord, you designed us. We're made in your image, and you're a creator, and you, you let us create family. Like, and... We just thought, and, yeah. then, and the, the, the kind of the gist of that was that children are a blessing. And if you, I guess we're going to jump right off into controversy. You know, the, the, uh, children are the only blessing that the, that the church doesn't want. Wow. We want money blessing, ministry blessing, opportunities. We want to travel to the nations. We want blessing for missions. Uh, we want blessing in finance. We want blessing in whatever, whatever area of what we would call normally blessing. But when it comes to one of the most definitive statements in the scripture where he says children are a blessing, yeah. a heritage of the Lord, you know, as, as a warrior. So are the children in the hands of a warrior. Yeah. You know, so talk about it. We, we could probably spend the whole podcast on that, but you talk about a major lie that the culture and the, and the church is bought into. 
is the lie that somehow uh, children aren't a blessing. They're a nuisance, they're a burden, they're expensive, yeah, yeah, they're, they're a hassle. Uh, uh, yeah, they are. And, and, and really, you discover who you are by having children. Like God's whole story is a father and a son uh, desiring to have a family, you know, the firstborn of many. Here we are. We're his family. Wow. I mean, so how do we miss this? You know? yeah, and, yeah. and he wants to give us a chance to experience that and, and to know God's heart by having our own children that way and, and a multiplicity of children. I mean, children yeah. are a blessing numbers-wise and qualitative and quantitatively they're a blessing. So. Yeah. Well, and, and in your book, you do an amazing job biblically of kind of exegeting the culture in terms of the attack, the demonic attack, not only on just not having kids, but on destroying children once they arrive. Right. And, and you've had a heart to, to to really be a spiritual father to the fatherless, uh, to the broken, uh, to uh, you've had a heart for those who have been victimized by abortion. But share, share your your I guess your heart what what's the essence of this book and how how was it birthed oh, I mean the essence of the book uh, I think I what we've been lately kind of camping out on Isaiah fourteen twelve talks about the fallen angel Lucifer and it has this line uh, this one line that describes and it says he who weakens the nations it says oh how you have fallen star of the morning you've been cast down you've been thrown down and it's this phrase that describes him, he who weakens the nations. Yeah. And I thought, well, how does, if that's how he's described, then that's, been, that's the work of darkness. Yeah. We know in John 10, they say he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But the, you know, the good shepherd comes to give life. We understand that contrast, and yeah. the, to steal, kill, and destroy. But the, the, the Old Testament summary version about Lucifer himself is that he that weakens the nations. They go, how do you weaken the nations? Right. And our, our theology as the church in, um, you know, in the world is, is we're called to the nations. Psalm 2 says, ask of the nations, I'll give you the nations. And we're to influence the nations, disciple the nations, yeah. you know, in Matthew. It, we're, you right. know, there's a theme about nations and our inheritance as the nations. And Blessed and, is the nation whose God is the Lord. Yeah. And so so what, what's a weak nation look like? Yeah. And, and so the enemy's strategy is to weaken the nation. And so... What, what's our theology? Our theology is the nation is as strong as the church, that God's people are like leaven in that place. And, yeah. uh, and so the nation is, as, is only as strong as the church in terms of morality and goodness, if you would call it goodness right. or some morality or character. peace, character. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 what, what makes society stable uh, the church, the morality of the kingdom of God, God's beautiful boundaries, his commandments, we call them, that he designed for life to work well. Yeah. And so we have that, and the, the church is only as strong, or the nation's only as strong as the church, the church is only as strong as the families, the family is only as strong as the marriages, yeah. and the marriages are only as strong as that young man and that young woman who God puts together to be a team for his kingdom purposes on the earth, in, in marriage, that team. So if that's the case, then then if, if you were the power of darkness, where would you target your efforts yeah. in order to weaken the nation or to destroy, you know, by, by doing so, really targeting the family, yeah. if the family is that building block? And so what has the enemy done? He's gone after, I, we've watched him go after the younger generation to bring so much pain and brokenness through sexuality, through sexual brokenness. Now to back up, you talked about children being a gift from God. 
It's amazing to me that uh, sexuality, when it's properly expressed within the boundaries that God has created it for and blessed, what an incredible thing to be able to take part in a creative act that brings another human made in the image and likeness of God. I mean, God designed that whole process to be so glorious and so uh, such a privilege. Yeah. And yet you watch what the enemy has done on the opposite side. Sex has become, as, as you said here, the cultural sexual assault. I mean, the devil has used sex to literally obliterate families, daughters, young men, to pervert and, and destroy an entire generation. Um, well, they, the pain, too. I mean, think the young people have so, if you target them, the young man, the young woman's heart, and create so much pain and confusion that, they, that they're unable to form a marriage. They're unable to be able to make a commitment that's going to yeah. last. And right. even think about conception. I mean, I mean, God designed one of the greatest days in a woman's life is the day she would be married and then say, I'm pregnant. I'm, we're going to have a baby. Should be excited. Like the greatest day. <clears throat> and so with our abortion culture and our anti-child culture and our sexual immorality culture, here's a couple living together and there's no commitment. There's no covenant there. And all of a sudden, she comes up pregnant. Right. And that day, instead of the greatest day, like, well, we're going to celebrate. I get to share this news with my husband. We're going to embrace each other and think our family is starting. This is the day of horror for her. Yeah. This is the, the, the worst, oh, no. Her yeah. first words are, oh, no, I'm pregnant. What yeah. are we going to do? He's not committed to me. I, How, everything yeah. in her. See, and that's like the antithesis of what God designed in a woman's heart. That, that's supposed to be the greatest day. And that, in our, in our broken culture, that becomes the, one of the most horrible moments. Right. And that child then is, if it should survive even that conception, uh, is launched into life with with the, a curse. Right. So like well, the we first words are, oh yeah. no, oh no, you're born, you're going to be born, instead of, oh, we received this blessing. Right. So that child, even in the womb, yeah. already feels a sense of rejection and abandonment and when that child should be celebrated, Right. Uh, even at conception. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you have eight children, you said two sons and six beautiful daughters, there's nothing like, uh, and, and of course, I have four beautiful daughters and four sons, so we share the, the large family yeah, thing together. Like, but it gives you it gives you the heart of God, especially as you look at your beautiful daughters. They want to be celebrated. They, they, you want to treat them like princesses. Um, you want to affirm their beauty, um, their value, their worth. And yet, again, the devil just assaults all of that in our culture today in such a, a violent way. Talk about uh, kind of your journey. I know the way I've met you is through a mutual friend, Keith Tusi, and, and you guys, I believe, met in the pro-life movement. Yeah. Uh, a talk a little bit ago. about that, because God's got, in creating this beautiful family with your lovely wife, God's given you such a powerful father's heart, and then you've used that father's heart to really minister the love and the forgiveness and the goodness of Jesus to to a lot of broken broken young people. Well, and really, the kind of it's funny. We started in the pro life movement. I mean, that's where I met Keith, and we I was kind of a lieutenant to Keith when he was leading some things around the country, and I yeah. would, I would show up and just say I want to serve him, and but I, I but but I began to think we're here, so I'm involved in the pro life issue, and I've watched what the church kind of contend to do is we will see a problem. We'll try to define it. We'll target some solutions. We achieve those solutions. We kind of put a ribbon on it and say, well, we've, 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 we've addressed it. We kind of solved it. Like, like, say, with the abortion issue, there's a need to minister to the women or uh, somehow uh, 
try to counsel them, try to give them the input they need so they make a decision for life. So the crisis pregnancy centers started, and and then we so we so we solved the problem by having a crisis pregnancy center. We funded it, and it's established, and right. we've sort of solved the abortion issue in our community. Well, no, we're not we. We've addressed some of the issues, but right. there's so much left. And we just touched the fruit. We haven't right. really yeah, dealt with we, the we haven't even dealt with the core <laughs> issue of the worship. And that's what and that's where the Lord began to speak to me. He, he said he goes, I don't want you to put the abortion issue, the pro life issue, the cause, whatever you want to call it, into like this ideological ghetto where it's kind of neatly packaged with a ribbon on it and you've kind of taken care of it. I, I wanna keep it in a larger context. And the Lord began to challenge me. And he, he would say things like this, this phrase he gave me early in, in, in our ministry. He said, abortion is the end of a conveyor belt in a culture that worships sex. So we have this kind of graphic picture of a conveyor belt where literally people are plopped on the conveyor belt and it's going into this pit of death and destruction of a child, of marriage, of covenant, of the relationship between man and woman. Everything abortion represents just that death and this conveyor belt, it's just, it's, it's, it, there's no switch to turn it off. It's just going, and people get plopped on there. They, they don't want to be on there, but they just get plopped on there. Mm-hmm. And it goes and it drops off. So it, you think about it, the end of a conveyor belt in a culture that worships sex. It's part of this larger picture of this of pursuit of, right. of sexual So pleasure. we would look, for instance, in the church at the sin of abortion, but not realize, not connect the dots to realize that that that's just the end result. We have to go all the way back to violating God's design for marriage, sex outside of marriage, the whole fornication and free sex culture, yeah. which led to, you know, uh, then you got adultery and infidelity in your marriage, and then you've got uh, the whole porn culture, and you've got the LGBTQ, uh, all that the, the, that culture that's also a spin-off of all this. I mean, Everything. we, we got to go all the Everything way back. Everything is about this spirit. This I call it the sexual spirit in our yeah, culture. Yeah. And then the, the other thing the Lord said to me, he just said, you can't talk about abortion. We talked about daughters raising daughters. He said, you can't talk about abortion without talking about the heart of a woman. Talk about that. What... What, what was the Lord Let me finish to... that. And then, and, and then you can't talk about the heart of a woman without talking about the power of a father in her life. Mm. So we're trying to broaden again and contextualize it. We, we just make it this issue. Oh, the abortion issue. No. No, there's a woman's heart there. Yeah. And a woman's heart that is greatly affected by what kind of relationship she had with her dad. Right. The very reason she might be in this relationship with a man without any kind of promise or covenant She's willing to risk everything in her life to give herself physically to this man without a commitment, which she's completely not designed to do. But she's willing to risk that because, in a large part, if you trace it back to her relationship with her father, how much value did he put on her? How much time did he spend? How many, how many times did she hear words and, and have actions toward her? And, you know, the, the three A's of a dad. I call them the three A's. If every dad would do the three A's with his kids... It's affirmation, words, affection, touch, and attention, time. Hmm. And if, if those things, if, if, if that daughter had that kind of movement toward her, and you think of that proverb, it says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Now you think and meditate on that for a minute. You've got this contrast of a woman and, and the ways a woman receives attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all in this... And charm is deceitful. That's that spirit of sexual seduction, this, mm-hmm. this spirit of charm. It's, 
you know, it's the... Yeah, you're hot. You're you know, beautiful. Like, I can yeah. know how to do the runway walk, you know, and the, yeah. the stony look, you know, and walking there, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and that, it's that. But it's, it's what is lifted up in our culture as, as something to be uh, uh, emulated. And so charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. It makes you the center of the universe. All eyes and movement comes toward me. I am the center of my, I am and there is no other. Yeah, yeah. Which is that spirit in Babylon talks about the woman, you know, I am and there is no other in Isaiah 47. And, uh, but, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying, it's like God saying, I designed all women to know me, and every woman that fears the Lord is going to receive praise, or what I could say, appropriate attention. And it should start at the very beginning of socialization of that beautiful of family. Yeah. A little girl's born into a family, and all she knows is every day she hears that she's the greatest thing in the world, Absolutely. all day long. Affirmed by her father. Yeah, all day long. Yeah. And then... And you think about the design now. Think about this. God had to design a girl, a young, I mean, he, the way he designed, how, how is he going to give women the, the part of the identity of their sexuality in a healthy way where it doesn't go crazy? And so he, what he does is, is in the maturity, how he, how he matured, how he, how he created maturity to take place, the maturation process where a little girl's body doesn't change till she's 11 or 13. So all the years before that, she is female, but not sexual. Right. There's no sexuality about her at all. She's just, yep. she's female, but there's not an ounce of sexuality on her. Yep. And all those years, she is having her identity established as valuable. Like she's, she's heard a million times how special she is, how precious. Valuable apart from sexuality. Yeah, well, because it's not there. Yeah. She's valued for her personhood. Right. So then later, when, when that, that, that new part of her identity, that appropriate yeah. And beautiful part is added to her. It's it's incorporated into her already established identity. Yeah, not, good. not, not. It's not something that becomes her, all of her identity. Right. If she doesn't have that already established identity of value, then that new sexual identity, which is so yeah. powerful, can become her, her whole identity. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is one way the enemy takes it and twists it and creates so much pain. Because if she'll take that as her identity, there's nothing but heartache. Right. In, in the future for her. And one of your main messages as well is the important role that godly masculinity, you know, plays in ministering to the, you know, female identity, godly identity, you know, and raising a godly woman, whole women, whole daughters, um, instead of, you know, you, you, you use the phrase a lot, men being protectors as God designed us to be instead of uh, predators. Um Man, we, as a father, I see that predatorial nature in America, that spirit in America today, even in our flesh, you know, yeah. uh, even godly men struggle with, you know, lust, uh, have porn problems in the, in the church, um, where they know they're called to a higher calling. They know, that's why I think when you preach to it, it causes a, a, a sense of, ah, Lord, I know I'm called for more in a good way, a righteous, you know, desire for right. holiness. Right. But our flesh always wants to pull us down to that um, that carnal place. And and I think the church should be a place where where we model godly masculinity. And I think, you know, touch on that because our culture is so confused. In fact, I would think our culture today calls toxic masculinity what God calls biblical masculinity. Yeah. No, there's... Um, so there's so much confusion. The devil's going after, like, what does it mean even to be a man uh, in our culture today? Well, and it's back to what a woman is. Yeah. And the, what is a the, woman? The, <laughs> well, and the, you know, the feminist 
revolution yeah. and don't you dare hold that door for me. Are you insinuating I'm incapable? And right. I, I think, well, wait a minute. I've got six daughters, and I always say they're they're capable, wise, intelligent, and gifted. They're flamethrower preachers, uh, administrators, yeah. fashion designers, minstrels. I mean, yeah. they are like amazing. But but I understand there's a peculiar vulnerability in a woman to that sexual spirit, and, and where they need. We've got a, We've kind of got this protection. If if a, if a man is supposed to be a protector, then that that in our culture the insinuation is, well, I'm just a girl, you know. Right. And, I'm weak, and I I really don't know how to do that many good things, really, you know. And I kind of need like some guy who's like to protect me, really, you know, because right. And that's sort of this. We want either that or I'm the I'm the woman of the twenty. First century, I'm capable. I can do it all myself. Into isolation and independence, right. which guarantees then, uh, um, what's the word I want? Uh, guarantees they'll be taken advantage of. That they're going to become vulnerable and and wounded. And um, so you think we, we've got either or. And God's how about how about having our the women in our lives be capable, wise, gifted, and intelligent, made in God's image to be a, a teammate with us. But we protect them because we understand the particular vulnerability a woman has to that sexual spirit, and that that sexual spirit has targeted women. Yeah. Like in in the garden, I always say the sequence of the garden hasn't changed. It's from, it's from the serpent, the first person the power of darkness ever talked to on the face of the earth, Mm -hmm. was a woman. Mm -hmm. That was that was purposeful. That was. He, he initiated the fall of humanity and all the sin. You think about every evil, horrible, torture, sex trafficking thing, drugging women, kidnapping children, mutilation. I mean, everything that started in the, in the, in the fall where sin was born was launched by a, by a serpent getting an audience with a woman. And then, and then the woman with her new, with after that conversation, her new understanding about God, his boundaries, her own identity, everything that had been altered in that conversation, then accesses the man through his lower nature. She mm-hmm. offers the forbidden to him, and then mm-hmm. they fall. And mm-hmm. so that's that's where it happens. So this this particular vulnerability is what we're we're aware of. It doesn't mean women aren't valuable; they don't have intelligence. So we protect them. And I and I would say this to the men: look at guys. God doesn't hate your your masculinity. He doesn't hate your male sexuality. He designed your male sexuality. He he designed it. He he loves it. He he's, he he uh, he created it. Yeah. But he he wants to release grace to men, so they rule over their sexuality instead of their sexuality ruling over them. Yeah. And we're not saying every man is some sex fiend, and you know a stalker. But we, do, we are saying that the general tendency of male sexuality, without the redeeming, yeah. renewing spirit of Jesus, yep. that the general tendency of male sexuality tends toward selfishness, sexual yep. selfishness, yep. Yep. which creates so much heartache. So much pain. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're saying, leads ultimately to the conveyor belt where now we have something that was intended to bring about joy, excitement, yeah. uh, blessing. <clears throat> turned into something that creates uh, disease, destruction, death, uh, yeah, and devastation. It further alienates the sexes um, and, uh, and just creates a mess. Um, let me ask you just in the time that we have left, because we're about running out of time here, what are you seeing uh, or sensing in your father heart 
um, regarding, you know, first of all, it was it was exciting to see the overturn of Roe v. Wade. I know people like yourself who have been, um, you know, ministering to uh, folks involved in, in the abortion. Uh, sometimes we wondered if we would ever see that. And I know it's, the battle's far from over, but I'd yeah. like you maybe to comment on that. And then, you know, what do you see as the church moves forward, uh, kind of a, an Esther moment for such a time as this? What are you sensing God is doing? And what should be, I guess, our, uh, our, our posture as God's people, you know, moving forward in the unique moment that we find ourselves? So maybe back to the abortion thing. Yeah, wait, I mean, what, what do you take? Where do you, where do you I, see all that going? I like, you know, I mean, I... It'd be fun to have an abortion memorial like the Holocaust Memorial in D.C. Yep. someday. I mean, yep. with, with, and with all the stories of the people. Yep. Uh, you know, people say, well, who was it? You know, it was everybody. It was every grandma, every prayer, every letter written to Congress, every, yep. you know, every prayer, every march, every... Crisis pregnancy. Every, yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody working together. It was together. everybody doing everything. It wasn't one group. It wasn't, well, this group tipped the scale, they were the ones that were the most significant. It was, you know, if we think anyone was the one that's tipped the scale, then if we're looking in the mirror and patting ourselves on the back when we look at Roe v. Wade being overturned, then we're, we're part of the reason that wasn't overturned sooner. Sooner, yeah. Because of that, yeah. that pride and that. Uh, and so we rejoice in that. And yeah, we, we have a state-by-state -state battle now to educate people. And I think we're going to have to do what they did in the abolitionist movement. They're going to have to show the literal, the scar marks on the backs of the slaves. The photography came out, started showing the the, the, the whippings and the scars, yep. and you're hearing the stories. Yep. And where you couldn't people, ignore. People have to be repulsed by it. And we're going to have to. I mean, I think when the first pictures of aborted children came out, it was all in in the other. The pro-abortion side. Oh, you're going to traumatize people. You're going to traumatize the children. This is horrible, you know. And the only people that were being traumatized. I mean, I, we we showed. I had kids. I showed them the pictures of children that were aborted, and they'd kind of look and they would they would basically say to me, "Dad, who who hurt the baby?" Yeah. They yeah. weren't traumatized. They were they were curious about seeing uh, a baby that had been hurt. It, What's interesting to me is you take a child and tell them that or show them that picture, and every child by almost by nature realizes that is evil and wrong. Who hurt the baby? We have, yeah, we have to yeah. educate them out, out of into some type of a moral insensitivity uh, over time. And, and so when when we show those kind of pictures that more graphic, it was oh you're going to traumatize the children the people that were traumatized were the adults who were pro abortion who were, who had their hypocrisy exposed yeah or That's, or the church who yeah, wanted to or, put their head or, in the sand yeah and and you know in the holocaust training they they show pictures of the holocaust is never again we mm -hmm. were looking at these photographs of the bodies and the piles of shoes or eyeglasses we visit the death camps that were in yeah. germany and poland Never again, and and those those graphic images aren't aren't meant to traumatize either, but to to, re, to put it in, yeah to put it in front of us in such a way that there's a, a recoiling in our spirit. I believe we're going to have to state by state begin to educate people about what abortion is, so it's it isn't just this issue that's kind of about women. Or we're going to have to the humanity, the unborn is going to have to be emphasized again. And let me say this other thing: I think. Uh, 
culturally what's happening and for the church now. I, I believe uh, the church is looking at our country and feeling the shaking, you know, through COVID, through all the different things, our economy, and even having unrighteous leaders is a form of shaking. You know, it's, it's, it's a form of shaking. Shaking just, and judgment, right? Yeah, and we're, and we're going, oh, Lord, what's happening? And I think we have to let that have its full effect. And, and then, but, you know, it's very clear, like I, I was reading through Daniel, and I'll talk about this tonight, but it says, you know, that Daniel is very clear on the sovereignty of God, that God lifts up nations and lowers nations. He sets kings in place and lowers kings and removes kings. And mm -hmm. so we, we, as a church, we're saying, Lord, you're sovereign. You're doing your work in the nations. You're doing your work in our nation. Mm -hmm. And there's a tendency to say, well, God's got this then, you know, kind of like, well, sort of a flippant God's got this. Or even like, have you ever heard people say, God's in a good mood, you know, and yeah. I go, well, wait a minute. God wants to marry that sense of our understanding of his sovereignty and his working his work to a, a godly contrition, which we see in the other part of Daniel, where Daniel, through no fault of his own, is repenting for his nation, saying, Lord, have mercy on us and, and forgive us for mm -hmm. what, you know. He understood the reason they were in Babylon right. is because they had apostatized from God. And, right. and and here he is now, probably castrated as a, as a eunuch, and he, he lost his ma ma masculinity, his ability to have sexual relations. He's not angry with God. He's just crying out to God, even out of that place of of having gone through horrible things and seeing his family maybe killed. And I mean, all the things that people, the, the remnant who had been taken captive mm -hmm. had experienced. And there's this beautiful marriage of contrition and repentance and even re a responsibility, like forgive us our sins, right. married to this greater sense of sovereignty. And I think we, we have to really combine those. Mm -hmm. I, I, not a sovereignty that makes us Passive. kind of in, yeah, invincible or like, well, we've got this. God's got this. God's in a good mood. Well, I, I understand when we say, you know, Psalm 2, you know, he that sits in the heavens laughs. I understand that, but it's a laugh of derision. It's not like laugh out of a good mood. It's a laugh of derision like, wait a minute, I've created, I'm the God of the universe, and you think you can hold your fist up to me and go, yeah, kind of like, really? That, that it's, it's that kind of laugh. It, it isn't a laugh, because God isn't laughing about little 13-year-old girls who are getting their breasts cut off right. because they're confused. Yeah. He's not laughing about that. He's not laughing about sex trafficking. He's not laughing about broken marriages right. and dreams of young people and families being separated. And yeah. our, he's not laughing. He doesn't. He's, he, he's he's looking for a church that will weep with him. That's what he's looking for. Yeah. And I believe he's going to orchestrate that because he brings us to a place of helplessness when we. It's like when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we're at that place, kind of like Lord. Yeah. We have nowhere to turn. But to you. But like last night was is a, a your the response last night we, we we talked about revival and repentance and our need and a need of our nation and to see the the people and the leaders kind of gather together to say to me that's the starting point and also the answer is we just going to need to begin to gather to pray more about what we're seeing and over and over take it to him. Yeah. And to have solemn assemblies like Joel talks about weeping between the porch and the altar because of the shaking, the judgment, the day of the Lord is, right. is I think we have to, to ask the Lord, is this, in what form is the day of the Lord coming to us now and where we're yeah. going to weep between the porch and the altar and, yeah. and do what we only can do. All we can do is say, Lord, here, 
we don't know the answer. We don't know how to solve this. We speak to us. Yeah. And he says he wants to heal our land, and that's that promise in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. And I love that promise. I'm I'm holding so, on to so, that. So you're you're a prisoner of hope, like I am. I am. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not. It These sounds horrible talking about all this horrible stuff, but I'm thinking the Lord's given us a promise. Well, yeah. In the midst of of the horrible stuff, we are always prisoners of hope. God's heart yeah. is always, as yeah. you know, to restore, to heal, and. Um, and I believe we're set up for a great awakening. I, I, yeah. I believe that with all my heart. But uh, in the time that we have left, how can people, uh, first of all, what resources do you have? You're talking about some books you got in your heart, maybe well, something new coming out. What's, what's going yeah, on? No, nothing that new. I mean, I've got to just get, uh, with encouragement from people like you, I, I write more. All right. Well, how can I encourage you? Hey, brother, you need to write more. Well, it says it, it sounds kind of weird, but I mean, it, not to we're not trying to be self-proclaiming, but you know, the, the one thing he says is that it, the uh, synergy says the foundation of the church is founded by the the, the apostle and prophet. The foundation is I'm, I'm butchering this verse. What's yeah? What does it say? The foundation of the church is built upon the apostle and prophet. So there's a synergy between that those two gifts that God gives to the body. Yeah. that creates health for the larger church. Right. And so that's uh, a bit of a mystery. We still need to really work to see what, what does that mean? Yeah. How does that work? And talk about that. And But uh, in terms of what we're doing, we've got this book. My wife has some books on mothering. Yeah. She believes mothering is a world-changing, destiny-changing, history-making calling. That's a, that's a controversial oh, yeah. statement that's in a whole other thing about and Motherhood we, as an amazing, world-changing calling. We have a book about our large family, like, uh, you know, why we have eight children, and she kind of explores kind of the process we went through. And so we have some books on, on motherhood and on, on family that way. This book is on the cultural sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, Got a beautiful graphic the Lord gave us, yeah. you know, that picture of uh, a generation, really a snapshot of a generation that describes the picture. pain of women and really supposed to call men, supposed to awaken men. This yeah. is what's happening. Fact, this is what's happening to the women in our lives yeah. on our watch. Yeah. And in fact, we're uh, we're working through this book in our men's ministry uh, on Tuesday we nights. Yeah, we have also a workbook that goes with us. We just got that finished. It's just it just slows people down enough to kind of look at the stuff and yeah. answer the questions and We've got our website. What is it? Sexualityunmasked.com. Yeah, sexualityunmasked.com is the name of it. My name's Jim Anderson. That might help link the, the two together. And we'd love to send you yeah. any materials and um, serve you any way we can. We, we do conferences in churches. We do three and four message conferences where we come in for a weekend and just repeat the stuff. We find that repetition is so important, yeah. especially in this area that's not talked about very much. This may be the first time people really hear something that uh, is on the topic of sexuality. And Well, hey, I just want to encourage you, first of all, thank you for investing in yeah. us. Thanks for doing yeah. this podcast. And encourage you, your message is probably more relevant now and more, <laughs> more weighty now, and you got more in you now than... Uh, than ever it's before. So timing, yeah. may the Lord strengthen you, bless you. I pray you get fresh ideas for books and the grace to put it all on paper. And uh, yeah. and just it's a, it's a joy to uh, be called your friend and to be uh, battling. We're excited with you. We got a book for men specifically, and we have one for leaders. I think that that want to take the risk and begin to preach this to their people on Sunday mornings. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sunday mornings, prime time. <laughs> really, that's it. It's, uh, 
Well, and I love, too, it's a multi-generational message uh, uh, that you guys share, and that's certainly something we're all about. It's a kingdom message that yeah. uh, all three generations in one place singing off the same sheet with the love for Jesus, that's a, that's an ingredient for revival. Yeah. So, Yes. So anyway, thank you, Jim, for being with us. Thank you guys for watching. And, and thank um, you. Tune in to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Come on, we might have you back because you do that so well. Uh, I'm not trying to put Andrew out of business, but yeah. you, you know, you did well, a nice... He needs to take a break once in a while. Every so. day. Every, he, he does. He needs a rest. Uh, he needs a vacation. So but, uh, but, you, but you, hey, you capably pinch it for him. Oh, Don't yeah. you all think... Send us some love. Let, let Jim know that you uh, appreciated all that he had to say today. We do love your, your feedback, comments, sharing... Help us to get this message out. What a great, great word today. So much uh, rich material uh, to be encouraged with. Uh, so anyway, until we see you next Thursday. Next Thank you, Thursday. my friend. Yeah, you won't be here next no, Thursday, but we will be here next Thursday. Right. And uh, we're going to be actually talking about next Thursday, talking about launching into this new year with some intentional um uh, resolutions you know godly resolves are good that's what we're going to be talking about godly resolves so tune in uh next thursday we'll look forward to seeing you then